So there was a there was a 20 year old woman, and she said to her boyfriend, "I love you." And he got this huge smile on his face, and he said, "Oh, I love you too." And he felt so so good about it. Then six months later, she said, "I'm sorry, but I got to break up with you." And he said, "What? What? How? How? How does that make any sense? Like you said." You said, I love you. And she said, I know, I know, I, I, I did. I did love you, but, but I don't anymore. What happened? Well, they didn't mean the same thing when they said, I love you. What he meant when he said, I love you, was... I am unconditionally committed to you, even though we're not married, we're not even engaged. We're going to be, I know we are. I've got, a, I've got a ring at home. I'm unconditionally committed to you as long as we live, forever and ever. And what she meant when she said, I love you, is, I really, really like you. You make me very happy, and I adore you right now a lot. And neither of those definitions are inherently right or wrong. It wasn't wrong of her, objectively, to say that. It wasn't wrong of him. But what happened, they, they didn't agree on the meaning of those very, very important words. And this is true for all words. Words always have meaning, and you've got you to gotta understand them and agree on them. Or at best, it's confusion. And at worst, like, like that guy, and by the way, it's not a true story. I'm not thinking of anybody. It leads to heartbreak. But at best, it's confusing. Words matter. The meaning of words matters. And so that causes me to ask the question, what in the world does Jesus mean when he says, the truth sets you free? What is truth? And what does it mean to be free? What is freedom? Because believe it or not, there's a lot of different ideas out there. Jesus said, the truth sets you free. And um, I got to say, at the end of John chapter 8, we're not going to read the whole way to the end, but at the end of what Jesus says here, you know what the people who were listening did? They picked up rocks and they were going to throw them at Jesus to kill him. But he knew that, that it wasn't time for him to die yet, so he pulled a fast one and the Bible says he hid himself, which just means he disappeared and he slipped away. But Jesus knew eventually he would die for what he said. Um, like he said it later in John chapter 8, he said, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. He would later die for the truth. And he said, this truth sets you free. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, I, I trust you all. And I'm confident, pretty confident, that at the end of the sermon, like 20 minutes from now, you're, you're not going to find some rocks and threaten to kill me with them. But just be ready. This message of freedom, at least if I tell it to you correctly, it is not easy to hear. There's going to be at least something in here where you bristle, where you fight back, where you say, but, 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 what about? So just be ready for that. John 8, 31 to 36. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, 
we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins, and as we heard earlier, that's all of us, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's God's word. Now, I'm going to tell you where we're headed. We're going to hear Jesus show us that the truth sets you free from your self, first of all. The truth also sets you free from all fear of your future. And then the last one's a little different. The truth sets you free not from something, but for a life full of meaning and purpose. So the truth sets you free from yourself from fear of the future and for a life full of meaning and purpose. And I could say something like this every single Sunday, but maybe on behalf of all pastors, we wrestle every week and there's this feeling that, oh, I got to say something new. I got to say it in a new way. I got to find something unique to say about the Bible. And you know, sometimes that's the case, but sometimes saying something unique and new can actually be detrimental because it can be confusing. And I do that sometimes. And sometimes the way that you read or hear something from someone else, it's just the best way to say it. So just know that some of the things I'm going to say today and some of the structure of the things I'm going to say, it's not new or unique because I'm, I, I just can't make it better. Um, I'm grabbing from things that I've read and heard and learned um, in the past couple weeks getting ready. Um, I'm so excited for this freedom message. It's been great for me, and I pray it is for you as well. So first of all, the truth, Jesus says, sets you free, first of all, from yourself. Now, there's something that's true about every single one of you and yourself. The self has this innate need to feel good about itself. And you saw that in the Jewish people. Jesus said in the very first verse, the truth, the second verse, the truth will set you free. And they said, what? We've never been slaves to anyone. We're Abraham's descendants. We're somebody. They didn't like that Jesus said they were set free because if you're set free, that means that you had to be in slavery in some way, that you weren't free before. And they didn't like that. They said, we've never been slaves to anyone. And you can debate the truth of what they said or not. But it's true for us too. Even like most or all of you believe that Jesus took away all your sins. He's your savior. But there's a part of us that bristles against that because if Jesus is our savior, it means I needed saving. And if I needed rescuing, there's nothing for me to feel good about myself. in. I would love a hand up or some assistance or a, or a teammate, but a savior, I, I don't like to think that I need rescuing. But that's what Jesus is. He's not merely a teammate or an assistant. He's the God of the world who is your savior. But ourselves, we always have this innate need to, to feel good about ourselves. There's another pastor I heard. He, he was talking with a guy who was a new-ish Christian. And in his former life, to make ends meet, the guy had sold drugs. He said, I went around the neighborhood. I knew where all, all the people lived who would for certain buy from me. And that's what I did to get by. But then he looked up and he looked right at the pastor and he said, kind of with a smile on his face, he said, but you know, I never sold to the kids. His self, he had to feel good about himself. 
So he invented his own morality to say, well, I did this and this, but I never sold to the kids, and so I'm not that bad. We're really slaves to ourself, or at least we were, because the self, which needs to feel good about itself, it causes us to go in one of two directions. It turns us into one of two things. Either the self, it can turn you into a self-righteous jerk. Because you've got to feel good about yourself. And how you do that is you look down on others. And eventually, you just stop noticing everything wrong with yourself, and you just notice the things that are wrong with everyone else. You know you're a sinner, sure, but you're not as bad as that woman or that guy. You know someone like that? Nothing is ever their fault. They never can just say, sorry, I was wrong. You all know at least one person, and I know one person, and it's me. Yourself can turn you into a self-righteous jerk, or, I heard it eloquently put, it can turn you into a quivering puddle of goo. It can turn you into someone who is just full of loathing for yourself. Fear of what God thinks, fear of what others think of you, fear even, like you're afraid of what you think of yourself because you're stuck in shame and guilt because yourself, it tells you the lie that because of what you've done, God could never love you. Others could never love you. The self, it sends us either to think too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves. But every time the self does that, it's a lie. It's not the truth. And Jesus said the truth, the truth will set you free. It'll set you free from yourself. Um, the truth is in the Bible, and the Bible says something different. It doesn't say you can be self-righteous. It also doesn't call you a quivering puddle of goo. It actually says we're all the same. And this was another thing I could have talked about with the kids. The truth says there's no difference between anyone. The stand-up guy or the sex addict. The glorious grandma or the horrible gossip. It doesn't allow us to think of ourselves as self-righteous jerks because God's standard is not try to be good, it's be perfect. And that's it. And none of us are perfect. But the truth of the Bible also, it doesn't let you go in the other direction and just be full of fear and self-loathing and shame and guilt because it says you're all the same in another way and this is what we heard in Romans chapter 3. You've got a perfect father who perfectly loved you and had a perfect plan to save you. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so the son, because he took away all your sins, it sets you, he sets you free from condemnation. It sets you free from worrying about what others think of you because you know that God, who is over everybody, has forgiven every last one of your sins. When yourself keeps you up at night and says, oh, you know, how... How could your friends like you, let alone God? Remember what you did today? Yourself is lying. And the sun sets you free from being enslaved to yourself because the sun tells you the truth. And the truth is that no matter what you've done, he has paid for it. He has taken your guilt on himself, and so there's none left for you. The truth sets you free from yourself. It doesn't let you be a righteous jerk and look down on anyone. We're all the same. It also doesn't let you think of yourself 
It's just a quivering, fearful puddle of goo. The truth also sets you free from any fear of the future. Do a for instance with me. If I were the employer and you were the employee, <laughs> how long would I care for you? How long would I sign your paychecks and make sure there's a roof over your head, food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back? How long? You might think I'm a nice guy, but I would only do that for as long as you produce for me. You show up late one too many times, you slack off all the time, you lose your skills, or someone else comes along who's just plain better than you, I'm firing you out the door. And it's easy to think that our relationship with God is employer-employee, but, but that's not the case. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said, a slave has no permanent place in the family. And, and we could say a worker has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. What if you're not my employee? What if you're my son or my daughter? How long will I care for you then? Will I put food on your plate, give you a bed to sleep in at night, make sure there's clothes on your back? No matter what you do, how long? How long will I care for you? The answer is forever. A worker, there's no permanent place for a worker, but a, but a son or a daughter, Jesus says, they're in the family forever. The truth is that God has adopted you as his child. You are a son or a daughter of the most high being in the entire universe. And you have a place in his family forever. Every single thing that belongs to God, it belongs to you because he says you are his heir. And you are Jesus' brother or sister, which means that the Father loves you just like he loves his son, Jesus. You're fearful about your future? The truth is, your future is the most secure thing, it's the, as secure as it could possibly be. The truth sets you free from all the fears of your future. And finally, the truth sets you free for a life full of meaning and purpose. And it's at this point that I think we got to talk, what is freedom? We had a couple Bible studies earlier this week, talked about this, great discussions at both of them. Freedom, in general, people might say, well, means I get to do what I want to do. I can do whatever I want. Or to quote that very famous princess or queen from, I don't know, a movie some of you may have heard of called Frozen. She sang very confidently in one of the songs, and I won't sing it, don't worry. But, but she sang, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. That's what Elsa said. I'm free to do whatever I want. But let me tell you, that can't be freedom. Because we have wants, we have desires that conflict with each other. Like, you want to fit in that suit or that dress for that wedding this summer, but you also want that piece of your favorite cake every day. Your desires are conflicting with each other. You want to spend more time with the people 
that you're closest with. But you also want to take that job that pays you twice as much money, but also has you working almost twice as many hours. You have desires and wants that are in conflict with each other. And I could give you a ton more examples. But freedom, it can't be just doing what you want. Because you want conflicting things. And sometimes, if you do the one thing that you want to do, it'll restrict you. It'll keep you from having another thing that you want. Um, imagine for a second that you're a fish. And you live in a beautiful pond. Okay? It's great. It's a great pond. But, but you can see out of the pond. And the pond is surrounded by a beautiful meadow. And beyond that, you can picture this, is a beautiful forest. And life is fine in the water. But man, you want to... You feel restricted in the water, frankly. And you want to experience what life is like in the meadow or in the forest. And so one day, you say, all right, I'm just going to do it. And you swim as fast as you can, and you flop out onto the grass. And you're so excited. You're loving the meadow. You're flopping, flopping, flopping. You get to the edge of the forest, and you finally stop to catch your breath. And that's when you realize you can't. Because you can only breathe in the water because that's how God designed you to live. You wanted the meadow, you wanted the forest, and you got it, and you thought that was freedom, but turns out when you can't breathe, life is quite restrictive in a different way. So what is freedom then? It can't be just doing whatever you want to do. Freedom is this. Freedom is living in the way that God designed you to live. You might say with, with the right kind of restraints. Um, how do you find out what that is? How did God design you to live? Well, Jesus said, hold to my teaching. And his teaching is throughout the Bible. And if you, if you consistently don't do things that God designed you to do, if you do other things that he didn't design you to do, then your life, you might feel very free because you're doing what you want, but your life is going to be about as beautiful as the life of that fish who lived out his freedom and then is found by someone walking by on the trail. One more illustration about proper restrictions. Say that you want to drive from Rock Hill to San Francisco. You've got some great freedoms. I mapped it out. It's a 40-hour drive. I'm never going to do that, especially now with kids. But you've got freedom. You've got freedom. You, you could take the interstate. You could take the scenic route. You could take the interstate through Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and then up through California. Or you could go the other way. You could go up uh, through Wyoming, through the mountains, through Utah, down through Nevada and Northern California, get at the same place in like 30 minutes difference in driving time. You've got freedom, but also there's some restrictions because you've got to stay on the road. And you might say, well, well, that's restrictive. I just want to get there however I want. Okay. But you're going to end up hitting a tree or stuck in a ditch if you choose not to follow the road that's designed for you to drive on. You're going to hit a tree or end up in the ditch before you even get to Spartanburg and maybe even York. Freedom can't be just doing whatever you want to do. 
Freedom is living the way God designed you to live with the right kind of restraints. And this is what the truth frees you for. A life full of meaning and purpose. So freedom, (laughs) I'm going to finish with just a, a list of ways that this causes you to live a free life. Freedom is not trying to grasp on to your freedoms and your rights that you have as a person or as a citizen. Freedom isn't grasping onto those. It's grasping on to God's love for you and knowing that in that you get true freedom. You don't have to fight for your freedom. God has made you free. That's what John chapter 8 says. You are free to work and to serve with no pressure. It's been said by a bunch of people throughout history, um, God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor does. You don't have to work and serve under this pressure of trying to please God. That's not how you please him. He's pleased with you because Jesus declared you innocent of all of your sins. So now you're free to simply take all the love God has given you and reflect it out into the world to work for your neighbor. It's like you're forgetting that you're working for God and you're doing it to his glory because you're just all filled up with his love and consumed with loving your neighbor. And your neighbors are these people sitting around you. They're your literal neighbors wherever you live. It's the people you work with. It's the people you see online. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor does and you're free to work and serve, free from all the pressure that comes from trying to prove yourself. You're also free to let things roll off your back. You're free to not be consumed by them because your future is eternally secure. So you're free in a way not to care about what happens in the world, what you see on the news, what the government does, uh, what the latest thing is with masks or COVID or what the CDC says or whatever else happens out there, you're free from caring about it in a way. Because you can just, like, whatever happens, what what your boss says to you, what that friend says to you, the bad things that happens, you can say, okay, the sun has made me free from all fear of the future, so I'm just going to take this in stride. And it doesn't own you. It doesn't enslave you. Because you're living in a whole different realm because Jesus has set you free. Now, I said you're free from caring about it in a way. Because you're also set free to care about it deeply. Because everything that happens, it all involves people. And whatever people you come into contact with, they're your neighbors. And so you let things roll off your back. Whatever you hear, whatever happens to you, it rolls off your back, and yet you're free to turn around and care deeply for them. But not be enslaved by your care and not be upset about whatever happens and whatever so-and-so says or whatever the new policy is in your state or your town or even at your church. You're free from being enslaved by any of that and you're free to care for people without pressure at all. This is a paraphrase because I didn't write it down and I can't quote it from memory. But Martin Luther said, a Christian person is completely free, enslaved to no one. And at the same time, a Christian person 
is really the slave of everyone. You're free from the judgments and the expectations of every single other person because how you look to God is perfect. You're free from finding your value in your work or who you are or what you do because your value comes from what God thinks of you. And God thinks so much of you. He values you so much that he sent his own son. He gave him up to make you his child. So you're free to be a slave to everyone else, but free from expectations and pressure and judgment. So let me ask you, how free are you? All the things we've talked about. How free? Jesus told you what freedom looks like. He told you how you are free. He says the Son sets you free. He also said, if you hold to my teaching, you will be my disciples. Hold to Jesus' teaching. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So, friends, brothers and sisters who have a permanent place in God's family, live free. Free from pressure free from being worked up about anything that happens in the world or in your life, live free to, with your entire life, serve your neighbor. Live free because that's what the Son has made you. Free indeed. Amen. Um, if you'll permit me, let me give you a, a tiny little sermon after the sermon because um, there's one more way and I, I can't not say it. Sometimes I forget things and it's okay but I don't want to leave you without this one. Um, Jesus sets you free, also free to confess your sins and acknowledge your failures to others. And I talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but um, we're enslaved to what others think of us. Like the reason we're not completely open with each other, whether it's your, your spouse or your friend or just someone at your church, it's ultimately because you're worried about what they'll think of you after you admit what you did wrong to them. You're worried the relationship is going to change or they're going to think less of you, something like that. But because our value is not contingent on our sins, our value to God, because we know that he's forgiven all of our sins, he encourages us to, to confess our sins to each other. There's a guy, he's a multiple-time Olympic medalist in the 1,500 meters he medaled in 2008 and 2012, and he's 37 now. He's going to go to the Olympics again this year. His name is Nick Willis. He's from New Zealand, but he lives in Michigan. And I've met him a couple of times. Met him at a Panera in the town I used to live in as he was stopping to let his kid go to the bathroom. And about 10 years ago or so, he put out there online for everyone to see how throughout his teenage years and into his 20s, he was addicted to pornography. And people gave him grief for this. Like, they made fun of him in online forums. Like, not even people who are Christians. And he's got in his Twitter bio, bio, Jesus follower. But he was free to put that out there for the world because he couldn't bear keeping the secret. The burden was still on him. Because he knew that Jesus had forgiven him for that, even in something that he struggled with in an ongoing way. And no matter what your struggle is, whether it's an addiction of some sort or something else that you just struggle with and you can't get out of the sin, this is the most hard thing to do, I think. 
Find someone you trust and confess it to them. And they'll give you the promise of Jesus himself that he's forgiven you for that sin too. So, sermon after the sermon, Jesus has set you free, free to confess your sins, not just to him, but to other people. Because the truth is that the Bible says, God says, it's incredibly beneficial. So, a second, amen.